All right, guys, I am Samira. I am the founder of Manta Cares. Uh, we are a global community for caregivers of cancer patients and survivors. We launched our podcast about a month ago and episodes one and two are now available on Spotify and Apple Podcast. Um, if you have any feedback on them, please do send it to us. We are looking at that very seriously and we are making these podcasts for you to listen to it. So thank you for listening so far and joining us on this journey and keep coming along with us. Episode three should be out fairly shortly. Today, it is my utmost honor and pleasure to welcome Patrick Delaney, who is the executive director of the National Comprehensive Cancer Foundation, Cancer Network Foundation, right? NCCN Foundation. Did I mispronounce that? I probably mispronounced that. Yep, NCCN done. Foundation. And Patrick's going to tell us more about it. Um, I can tell you a bit about how I stumbled across NCCN in general. And then I'd hand off to Patrick to tell us more about himself, how he ended up there, what the foundation does, and why it is so important for caregivers and patients to be looking at guidelines and understanding them. So just a bit about myself, and then I'll jump in and give it to Patrick. NCCN has always been something super important for me as a patient. I went through cancer treatment myself. The very first thing I did, probably speaks to how nerdy I am, is I looked at the guidelines. Uh, before my oncologist told me anything, I was like, okay, if I have breast cancer, what are the things that I need to start caring about? What are the questions I need to be asking? What are the protocols that my clinician will be looking at? What are these guidelines? And those guidelines really helped me craft my questions to take to my oncologist. And then we had a discussion as to whether those guidelines were what I was going to follow or we were going to deviate because of a specific thing that was showing up on my chart. So those guidelines were sort of essential to me starting my cancer journey, which is partly why I'm so thrilled to have Patrick here. And with that, Patrick, the floor is yours. Tell us about who you are, how you ended up here, and what NCCN does. Sure. Uh, great, Samira. And thanks so much for having uh, me with you and all of you. Uh, in this opportunity. So uh, my name is Pat Delaney. I have the privilege of serving as the executive director for the National Comprehensive Cancer Network Foundation. Uh, I've been here in this role a little bit over a year, uh, but I've been working in the nonprofit space for over 20 years. Uh, and if you allow me to include my volunteer experience, I've been working in nonprofit and helping to support the cancer community for over 35 years. Uh, you know, how I got here, there's, it's a long journey and we don't have enough time in this podcast, but I, I think the shortest answer is as with everyone I've ever met in my life, the unfortunate reality is we're all touched by cancer. Uh, my life has not been exempt from that. Uh, parents, grandparents, siblings, friends, uh, have all faced cancer diagnoses. So, uh, helping to support research and advocacy and services for those facing a cancer diagnosis, and that is not only the patient, but that is also their loved ones, their caregivers, their family and friends, um, has been a personal mission of mine. Uh, and I've been privileged for the last 22 years to make it my career. Uh, now, not, not all of that time has been in the cancer space, but uh, more than half has been. And, and I'm thrilled to be here with NCCN and working with the foundation to provide these much needed resources to those facing the diagnosis and, and, and the days beyond. Because uh, it's not just about diagnosis and treatment, it's it's the entire life cycle that we want to be here to support. That's amazing, Patrick. Um, maybe we should start with 
how you ended up at NCCN. You've had 35 years of being in the oncology space. Why NCCN? Why now? How did you, how did you join the foundation? Sure. So uh, my first uh, half of my career uh, in nonprofit professionally was with, with the, uh, a cancer-related charity. And then I got out of it as, you know, we all have our career path shifts. But, um, uh, you know, fully disclosing, uh, the catalyst was in June of 2020, my brother was diagnosed with liver cancer and uh, unfortunately was a terminal diagnosis and we've since lost him. Uh, but it reminded me of my not only passion for, but my commitment to getting back into the cause, which just took me a while to get back here. So started looking uh, for my next opportunity, specifically in the cancer space. Uh, found the NCCN. I was not aware, frankly, of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network or our foundation until uh, 2020. And then as I did my, my own research, much like you described, Samira, I, I realized the tremendous value that we provide both for clinicians who are, who are treating those with cancer, as well as now these phenomenal resources, which the foundation and I are able to support and uh, found this is someplace I wanted to be. Uh, it was the scope of impact in the right space because our focus here at the foundation uh, for NCCN is truly to inform and to empower patients and their loved ones to be active in their care decisions, to understand exactly what their, their healthcare team are, are looking at from a, from a guideline and a treatment option standpoint, uh, and really just help folks you know, own more that process and drive more of that process to be advocates for themselves. Patrick, thank you so much for sharing um, both your personal journey and how you ended up here and, and your vision for what you'd want patients and caregivers to go through in the future. Um, if you wouldn't mind, um, would you be open to talking about a bit more about your brother's diagnosis and your role there? Sure. Um, so the reason I ask is in, in the last one of our episodes, uh, my, my brother was on the, on the show. He was our second guest because um, I have two brothers. They're younger than me. They're identical twins. And my diagnosis was probably the hardest on him. And he, he really struggled. And I, I, I didn't have terminal cancer. I had early stage breast cancer. So very different outcomes, very different sort of experience and journey. But it really shook him up. And he ended up going through his own personal transformation because of it. And I was wondering if you would be willing to talk to us a bit more about what role you played when your brother got diagnosed and why that impacted you the way it has. That's a, yeah. Uh, I guess I haven't consciously thought about it home so much in, in, in the last you know, two years. Um, I, I think, you know, the challenge for me uh, comes with a little bit of guilt to be fully transparent. He was diagnosed uh, months after the pandemic reached the United States and uh, retired in Florida. Uh, unlike yourself, I have 10 brothers and sisters. Um, yeah, I believe I'm one of 11. But wow. um, so he and my sister-in-law, you know, had retired to Florida. So, you know, I was a remote caregiver in a very, very minimal way, you know, being a thousand miles away in a pandemic, he couldn't travel. Obviously, I, I couldn't and shouldn't travel. Um, so my role was, you know, where I could be there for my brother and sister-in-law virtually. Uh, I tried to be and uh, whatever that meant directly with them or helping to communicate with the family. Again, when you have 10 brothers and sisters, there's a lot of communication going on. 
Um, you know, fortunately, like I said, our family wasn't new to this. You know, my, I have two sisters who are breast cancer survivors and uh, my, my mom was a stomach cancer survivor, my dad, a, a lung and skin cancer survivor. So there's, you know, we've, we've got some family history. Um, so, but again, where I could, again, I stress in a minimal, minimal way, I uh, tried to be there for my brother and my sister-in-law for more than moral support because really wasn't able to be there to help them, you know, get with appointments or, or even be physically with them due to the, due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Badger, there are two things you, you mentioned that I, I think is worth us uh, sort of underscoring for our listeners, because I think virtual care from families that are dispersed is so real today. The pandemic, of course, made it really difficult, but I think that's just true given the nuclear nature of our families today and kind of being everywhere. My parents are in India, my brother's in India, and, and we're sort of dispersed, right? So how how families navigate that, I think, is one of the reasons we we made Medicare is because I think it's difficult and people really grapple with with guilt. I think that that was the second point, which is you said you were feeling guilty, and I think a lot of caregivers feel guilty. And I know my siblings felt guilty, um, even though I don't have 10 siblings, uh, 11, including you. Um, we, we had communications problems. And one of the things I did was early on, two brothers, right? So the one on the podcast was, I think, mostly moral support for me, too. He, he did play that role. And the other sibling, um, I was like, look, you got to be my communication director because in the absence of a communication director, all it just, just oh my God, there's a lot of communication going around. It's it's really tough. So um, thank you for sharing that. I, I can imagine it's um, not not easy necessarily talking about it, but I know it goes a long way for people listening to this podcast. So thank you. No, it's it's important to talk about it for a lot of reasons, but you know uh, what I do professionally is personal, uh, not not just for me, but it's personal for everyone involved in, in what we do and, and the people we support. And, you know, as I said, prior to our recording, I'm an open book. So, you know, careful what you ask me. <laughs> oh, don't give me that license. <laughs> um, on that note, so I think we should tell our, our listeners what NCCN is. What are these guidelines? Why are they so important? Why was it that we, we didn't know about it early on and why we should care? So if you want to take a stab at that, that'd be great. Sure, absolutely. And please, Samira, you know, if, if you want to, uh, you know, fo have focused me a little deeper some places or shorten me up, I'm not offended. So, uh, All right, so I'll start with the National Comprehensive Cancer Network itself. Uh, the, the, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, or NCCN, is an alliance of 32 of the top academic cancer centers across the United States. And, and our our focus with NCCN is to frankly bring together the, some of the brightest and best in oncology care to develop our core product known as our NCCN clinical practice guidelines. And these are the guidelines for clinicians that give the, the, the best care recommendations based upon one's cancer diagnosis. What we do here at the foundation is we are philanthropic, so we, we are 100% uh, funded externally. So we are a fundraising team that generates the resources necessary to adapt those clinical resources used by oncologists all over the world, more than 13 million downloads last year of the clinical guidelines. But we adapt them into language and presentation 
that a non-trained medical professional, i.e. I, can understand so that those that are not in the healthcare community with the years of training and expertise in oncology can understand the same content, the same guidance that their healthcare team is being offered through the NCCN clinical practice guidelines, but presents it in a way that, the, uh, that a person without the training can understand and be, and be empowered to then ask very pointed questions of their healthcare team. Uh, you know, if, there are, if there's a particular course of treatment that's not being pursued, inquire why. So, so these patient guidelines, they're called the NCCN guidelines for patients. What these patient guidelines do, Samira, is they're available digitally, free of charge. And I'll say that again, free of charge uh, at nccn.org forward slash patients. Uh, you can view them, you can download them, or you can go to your app store and download the free, let me say that again, free NCCN patient guideline mobile app. So you can actually have the guideline open on your smartphone when you're in your medical appointments. Provides the content and we use, because it's for a patient community, we design these, these patient guidelines in a format, uh, not only the language choices, but the design and layout with images and charts uh, in the back, there's a list of resources of other patient advocacy groups and nonprofit organizations that can support those, those individuals. And uh, a list of questions that you could or should ask your, your healthcare team to help you guide them as you're collectively guiding your treatment decisions. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm gonna reemphasize it again. It is available for free, guys. You should be looking at this if you got diagnosed with cancer. Uh, my question, Pat, for you though, is the following. If I am someone supporting a patient at diagnosis, if this patient has breast cancer versus liver cancer versus pancreatic cancer, how specific are these guidelines? Will they, will be, will they really be tailored for me in my case, or is it general? No, it's a great, great question. So the, uh, our, our library of patient guidelines right now includes 62 books. Uh, the majority are very cancer type specific. We do, however, have several books for cancer screening, uh, several additional books for supportive care. So the majority of the library is for cancer site specific. Um, there are 62 books in that library as of today. We don't have a library on the patient side that exactly matches the clinical because again, we are uh, funded externally. So as the foundation here at NCCN is able to generate additional resources, we're continuing to grow the library. Um, but with what we have, yes, it's very, very site specific. Matter of fact, if, if I may, I'll use breast cancer as an example. Uh, there's one clinical practice guideline. It's quite large for, for breast cancer. We've, we've adapted that into three breast cancer patient guidelines to be, bring it a little bit to your question, more focused for the, for the retrospective patient population. Um, and we just got funding, very excited. We're gonna have our first ever patient guideline for breast cancer screening coming out later this summer. Very, very cool. Um, can I take a nerd moment here? I was um, watching a documentary about Betty Ford and how Betty, First Lady Betty Ford um, was one of the first women who publicly shared about her mammograms and about her journey through breast cancer and why that was such an important mo moment in women's health and the importance of screening. So. I, I just applaud you guys for doing that because I do think screening goes a long way. Um, and one of the 
uh, recipients of uh, screening these days. So I, I personally care a lot about this. So thank you for doing that. And I'm very excited that you guys are doing that um, for breast cancer. Um, there was something you just said that I think might be worth us sort of double clicking on. So you have all these guidelines for patients. They are site specific, i.e. type of cancer specific. And in some cases like breast cancer, it's even more specific than that. It's talking about the different types of breast cancer. I heard you say something around supportive services. What, what, what is the supportive services? Who is that for? Who should be looking at those things? When should they be looking at it? Um, anything on that would be great. Sure, so the supportive care books, there are several. Um, for example, we have two books uh, focused on survivorship. So addressing uh, realities of, of cancer survivorship, you know, throughout, throughout life, uh, beyond, beyond diagnosis and treatment. Uh, we have books that are age specific. So we do have an adolescent and young adult specific book, uh, patient guideline that addresses some of the realities of an adolescent or young adult diagnosed at that age or stage of life, but some of the realities, you know, everything from, you know, fertility and, and et cetera, um, puberty. So uh, then we also have, you know, another supportive book, which really is out there for everybody, regardless of cancer diagnosis, uh, our nausea and vomiting supportive care book, uh, which is an unfortunate reality for many patients uh, through, their, through their journey. Those are just so some I examples. Didn't know about Oh, those are great. Um, I, I love how they're super pertinent to me and my case. <laughs> so I'm an AYA breast cancer survivor who, of course, dealt with nausea and vomiting. So I, I think I need to go read your three books now. Is, I, I, that is my homework after this, this podcast today. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, maybe we can go in a slightly different direction. So this foundation that you've been now running for the past year, you raise money and you're supporting the development of these sort of educational resources available for free for patients and their loved ones. What else does the foundation do? Um, I, I think I took a sneak peek and you guys have investigator awards. Um, we'd love to learn a little bit more about what the foundation does and its different hats. Sure, so the, the NCCN Foundation was created 12 years ago to serve as the philanthropic arm for the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, again, why we're doing all the fundraising externally, um, to provide direct patient care and support in, from two different perspectives. One is under this umbrella of patient resources. So far, we've talked about the core, which is our NCCN guidelines for patients. But in addition to the guidelines themselves, we also provide free patient webinars. We're doing some animations uh, to help give, you know, take a complex subject, cut it down to two, three minute, uh, deliverables to then spark people to go to the, the patient guideline. Uh, we're also doing uh, more work in recent years around the translation of our patient resources into languages outside of English. Um, so everything I mentioned, the 62 books online, all in English, but we've got somewhere in the neighborhood of between 70 and 80 books right now that are in languages outside of, of English. Uh, but that we need to do more, and we're working on that. Uh, so in addition to our webinars and the guidelines themselves and the animations and, and uh, the translations, where we can, again, these are all digitally free, some people like paper in their hand, you know, and, and these are books, they are not book lists, these are 60, 80, 100 page books of great resource, but where we can, uh, you know, get funding, we'll make them available free of charge to what we call a print distribution campaign. Those don't happen enough uh, to give you some context. Last year in 2021, we uh, distributed over 60,000 books, uh, hard copy books. 
But if you went to our downloads, we had over 1.4 million people download the guidelines over 2.1 million times. So we're bridging wow. the gap. We'd like to do more. Um, now, if you're, if you're able to, if you have the means, you can order a hard copy of the patient guidelines online through amazon.com and they'll charge you a nominal fee. They're typically 10 to $14 with shipping, but not everyone can afford that. So we wanna make it available. Um, so that's that, sort of that umbrella of the patient resources. The other area which you mentioned, Samira, is our investment in, in, in the cancer community from a research standpoint. You know, so we, we've created the NCCN Foundation Young Investigator Awards Program. And the focus for that program is, again, you know, based upon how much funds we can raise at the foundation, we will award grants. These are two-year grants to early career investigators within our NCCN member institutions. And again, mm. our member institutions represent 32 of the top academic centers across the U.S. So it's a competitive process whereby our members will nominate a candidate from within their institution. We have a very detailed application process. We have a review committee, which again goes back to our membership. We have a representative from each of our 32 members who sits on the review committee, uh, scores the awards, and then, then we award what we can afford. So this year, for example, we, made, we just about six weeks ago awarded seven new grants uh, wow. to, uh, to young uh, investigators earlier in their career. Uh, to date, over the last 12 years, we have awarded 66 grants, totaling almost $10 million direct to the, to the investigators. Wow. Um, what's a little bit uniquely different for us than some research programs, we're focusing on the investigator. So if you look back over those 66 awards, you're gonna see different cancer types. You're gonna see quality improvement projects, health equity projects, interventional trial projects. We, we're, we're very in inclusive on in what the project is, because our primary focus here is the investigator themselves. These are early career awards that we're really trying to inspire and support those research uh, investigators who are, who are looking into a, a cancer research career and might need a little help to attract them or get them started, because that's a way we can absolutely help the cancer community is get super smart people doing this phenomenal work for their career and bringing those next rounds of, of treatments and cures. That, that's incredible, Patrick. I'm so, so impressed by that because I do think that that matters and goes such a long way in making sure we have new drugs on market to truly impact survival. Um, I have one question for you. So you've been doing this or some variation of this for 35 years. So you've oh, probably got my seen... volunteer days. Yeah, but it's, it wasn't always I am paid. I counting your volunteer sorry. days. Yes, I'm counting those just because I think volunteering matters a lot. So completely biased, but I'm going to count them. So with, across 35 years, you've probably seen cycles and trends and things change in the cancer space. W what's changed? What are the things that you've seen change for the better? What are some things you're like, hmm, I'm not so happy with that? Uh, we'd love to learn more about sort of over the breadth of your experience. What have you seen evolve? So um, state of science is, is always so impressive. You know, uh, 35 years ago, boy, I'm really showing my age, aren't I? Uh, 35 years ago, you know, we were looking at scientific advancements in terms maybe of months or years. Uh, and now, you know, progress is being made on days. I mean, it's so it's, it is so exciting to see just 
science and research and technology advancements that are, are allowing us to support the cancer community faster. Um, so that's phenomenal. And, and within that, equally phenomenal is the sharing. You know, when I, when I first started volunteering in this space, um, you know, getting a researcher in a lab at Institution X to talk to a peer colleague doing similar work in Institution Y was not, was not as abundant as now. Huh. And just seeing the level of sharing within the scientific community, all for the betterment of the science and therefore supporting the cancer community. It's just, it's wonderful to say. And frankly, I would argue, you know, NCCN, you know, the vision behind NCCN, which was created in 1995, to, is doing that, you know, bringing 32 of the top cancer centers together. We're just, you know, and others, it's not just NCCN, certainly, but just seeing the collaboration in, in the space is just so wonderful to say. What about, so can you give me, can you, would you mind giving us an example of what is one of these technology changes you're seeing? So, so time to time of impact, collaboration, are there any specific examples you can point our listeners to in terms of this has been such a big shift? So I, I for me, the example comes to mind is Herceptin. And we spoke about Herceptin in a previous podcast. The existence of Herceptin was huge in breast cancer. And I, I personally owe my, I, I don't know if my oncologist agrees with me on this, but I think I owe my life to Herceptin uh, because I had her to positive breast cancer. So are there any sort of other examples you can point to where you're like that, that was a big shift that has happened or is happening today. I, I would yeah, absolutely, I mean, the, the different therapies that are either newer in the last 35 years or in many cases repurposed from what their original uh, utilization was is, is a phenomenal. I'll pick one again, just from my own personal experience with my family, just looking at the quality of life from date of diagnosis uh, through end of life, whether it was cancer related death or not, in my own family members has been phenomenal. Just looking at, you know, my, my dad was diagnosed in 1998 with, with lung cancer and just watching the quality of his life. Uh, he may, he survived almost six years post-surgery um, versus several years after that, when my mom had her stomach cancer versus several years after that with my sister with her breast cancer, just quality of life addressing uh, the, the, the treatment options, the nausea and vomiting impact of the various you know, treatment options. It's just been nice to see such an attention. I don't, it was, I'm not suggesting it was never there, but I've watched such vast improvements in the quality of life for folks from that data diagnosis through, through whatever and um, in my own family experiences. So, um, and that's ultimately what it's all about, right? Is quality of life. So, I, I very much. Uh, I think that personal story of yours is really emotionally. Um, it it really touches me because I, I I am AYA. I was diagnosed thirty like I turned thirty a week later. Had rude welcoming to adulthood. Uh, but quality of life, I think, has become one of the things that matters to me more and more and more and more. And the impact of cancer treatment is long-term. It, it's not just during treatment. And I'm not sure everybody understands that, that as a survivor, you're still dealing with a bunch of stuff, late, late stage side effects. If you're on hormone therapy for decades post-treatment, that there, it really matters. And uh, quality of life, at least for me, it 
that matters almost more to me. I'm going to say something controversial that people will not like, but health span matters to me more than lifespan does. And extending mortality by impacting quality of life for me personally, it, that, that trade-off is, is tricky. And I, I do think quality of life matters a ton. And I'm, I, I think like you, very excited to see new therapies, new researchers really take that seriously and really account for that in when we're doing trials and uh, therapeutic development. So um, thank you for sharing that. Certainly. And one other, just one thing I've seen tremendous uh, advancement in is the role of the patient and their caregiver in their own treatment decisions just evolved over these last three decades. Um, it was always there, but we have, I think, a far, a far better informed community, global community, because technology and access to information, et cetera, is, is, I mean, when I started volunteering, the internet was still new. There, I said it, I'm dating it, there you go. Um, but the fact that we have access, no matter where we are on this planet of ours, has really been phenomenal uh, to educate, to inform, break down the myths, empower, really, really empower the patient and their family and caregivers to, to own and, and to engage with, um, with their healthcare team. And I think that that is so amazing. Um, and again, I'm just gonna remind everybody listening, you know, nccn.org forward slash patients, free, 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 free. I, I love it. It's actually one of the, um, it's one of the reasons I was super excited to have you here because I, I think I share a very similar mission in life, which is I do want this is a want statement. Uh, I want patients and caregivers to have a lot more agency. I, I do believe it's our decision. And there's all this talk about shared decision-making and clinicians making decisions. And we can't make this decision without the clinician. Um, it's not to underscore their importance. It's to really enable us to be informed. It's to allow us to know that we can engage on technical things about our body and to take a really active role in that, which is why I, yes, it is available for free. People should know their guidelines, at least get access to it, at least read it. And then ask your clinician what you don't understand about it, which I did and drove them absolutely nuts. But yeah. <laughs> good, good for you, then it worked. <laughs> oh, I drove them. Oh. My oncologist is very sweet and she, she will never uh, say that I drove her nuts, but I know I drove her nuts. Um, you know, you know, when you're near like other oh, patient, like, I have 35,000 questions, let's go. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that, that is what it's about. And, and, I, and recognizing that we have an audience, not just in the United States, I just want to stress while, while the National Comprehensive Cancer Network is located in the United States, our work is global. And while we may not have a patient guideline available in every language, please know that the clinical guidelines are indeed being utilized globally. As I mentioned, over 13 million downloads of the clinical guidelines last year alone and nearly 50% of all those dialogue downloads are coming from outside the United States. So uh, I cannot guarantee you that your uh, oncologist, wherever you may be, is using the NCCN clinical practice guidelines, but there's a strong probability. Uh, and we're, we're working all the time with the international community to engage them and to uh, you know, adapt or harmonize as we can to, to local reality. So, Great work being done on the clinical side. So where there is a patient resource, you know, don't be surprised if your clinician is, is using the clinical version. 
Uh, so, Pat, I'm going to ask you one probably last sort of thematic question, and then I think we'll be uh, pretty close to our time to wrap up uh, before our uh, individuals recording our podcast are like, guys, chop, chop, get get to it. Um, so my question for you is, in, in the cancer space, I, I don't know if you go through this, but you have that there are hard days, uh, both personally and professionally, and there are days where it's really, at least for me, it was, it was just tough to motivate yourself to get through that day. Um, so I'd love to learn more about how, how do you do that? How do you get through the hard days? How do you draw meaning in those moments in life where you don't think you can? How, I'd love for our listeners to know that, uh, both personally and professionally, because for you, they're so enmeshed with each other. Um, so, Yeah, there, there really are no dividing lines there. You know, I, I, yes, yes, this is my career, uh, but it's a, it's a personal mission as well as a professional one. So it's, thanks, Samira. You know, you're right. It's it's a hard it's it's a hard space to be in. Um, you know, we we are working in the cancer space, so we we tend to see people uh, that are are affected negatively by this disease outside of our personal life. So it's it's almost like your home life, your work life. You're in the same space. You know, I I guess so. It's a reality, right? Um, but I'm I'm motivated by stories and testimonials I hear from people who benefit from the resources I'm privileged enough to support. Uh, I am, I rely on my faith. I rely on my wife and, and two kids who are my inspiration and my support always. Uh, I am, I'm blessed with a wonderful team, not only here at the foundation, but at NCCN who I'm humbled. I'm, I'm not really that smart. I just, I help raise the money so that smart people can use it in, in a positive way. Uh, so I'm really fortunate to work with some amazing human beings who likewise have dedicated their, their careers and therefore their talents to helping those facing cancer. Um, so I'm just trying to remind myself of who we're helping. Um, I reflect on who in my life has been affected. Um, and, you know, there are the down days, but, you know, I, just, I'll, I'll reference my mom since we wanted to keep this a little on the personal side and I make this too corporate. My mom um, had some of the most amazing quotes and growing up as a kid, whatever adversity faced, it was always like, okay, so what? So what are you going to do about it? So every now and then I'm hearing Catherine Delaney's voice in my head saying, so what? So you pick yourself up and you remind yourself, we're here to help people. Uh, and that's what keeps me going. Thank you for sharing that, Pat. I really appreciate it. Um, so we, we heard some amazing things on this podcast today. So I'm going to quickly summarize it. And then if I'm missing something, please jump in. And, and uh, we can remind uh, our listeners of a few things here. So the first one is NCCN guidelines, both the clinical and the patient facing are available. The clinicians should be using them, most likely high probability anywhere in the world. The patient ones are available for free on the website and an app. And if you're lucky enough, you can buy a physical copy online, I think at Amazon. Number two is Pat's been personally affected by this in a number of ways, and that's what keeps him going on those hard days. He reminds himself what his mom used to say and says, okay, it's a hard day, but so what? Pick yourself up and keep going. And I think the third thing for me is um, over the last 35 years of Patrick's experience, we've seen huge shifts in research and therapeutic treatments, but more importantly, the role of the patient and caregiver and how we as a community have shown up differently advocating for ourselves, our quality of life and our choices. Anything I missed, sir? 
Yeah, I would just offer three other uh, bullets to reinforce what you said, Samira. Uh, for the clinicians listening, the clinical practice guidelines are likewise free. Uh, you are required to register at nccn.org, but once you've registered, it's just so we know who you are and who you represent. Uh, they are free, completely free. Uh, for the patient guidelines, uh, they are likewise free. There is no registration required. You can go to our website. Again, that's nccn.org forward slash patients or download the mobile app onto your smart device. Um, and then the third thing is just um, thank you. Uh, thank you, Samira, for what you're doing uh, for everyone in the cancer community. And, and on behalf of NCCN and the NCCN Foundation, thank you so much for the opportunity to tell our story and, and try to engage folks uh, you know, for the betterment of their experience. Uh, it's, an, it's an unfortunate reality uh, with, with a cancer diagnosis. There's nothing we can do about that. It's, it's how we can support those facing that diagnosis that matters. And we can support the clinicians and we can support patients and caregivers and really just hope people take advantage of these free services. Did I mention Thank that we're Pat. free? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we will. I, uh, if, I use, if our listeners have taken anything away from this podcast, it is guidelines are available for free and we will include the links in our show notes. So if folks didn't remember it or catch it the numerous times we've mentioned it, we will make sure you have a link in our show notes. Um, Pat, thank you so much. Um, your story is incredibly inspirational and I am so humbled that you took the time to come join us in this conversation. So thank you so much. And hopefully we have many more of these over the years to come. Wonderful, thank you, Samir, really appreciate it. Stay well. This podcast, show notes, and newsletter is for general informational purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice, and no doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or any materials linked from this blog is at the user's own risk. The content here is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions.